This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Pie. Everyone loves pie. I still remember the day I discovered pie. I mean, really discovered pie. I'd heard of it before, but it was in the fifth or sixth grade that the beauty of pie was finally revealed to me. Pie, of course, is the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter. If you take the distance across the circle, making sure you go right through the middle, and then multiply this by this magical number, you will always get the distance around the circle. It doesn't matter the size of the circle. All circles are tied together by pi. Now, we give the ancient Greeks a lot of credit for pi, thanks mainly to Archimedes, who first decided that pi was equal to 22 divided by 7. But ages before, Chinese mathematicians had actually calculated pi out to seven decimal places. And that was the best anyone could do until about the 1600s. The reason the Greeks hated pi was because they didn't like decimals. They felt everything should be represented as a perfect division of one number by another, basically a fraction. And pi is a problem because it's impossible to calculate exactly. It's part of a class of numbers called irrational numbers. They go on forever. They never repeat. 3.14159265.3 and on and on and on forever. So how do you use pi in your game? Well, I rarely do. The game is so reliant on square grids, and sometimes on hexagons, that it's almost impossible to draw a good circle. That's why all of the towers are square towers. Fortunately, there's another kind of pie. And this is the time of year where we Americans start thinking very heavily about food. It's actually the time of year in the Northern Hemisphere when agrarian societies all start thinking about food. So to celebrate the harvest in advance of the coming winter, let's talk about food in D&D. Come in, come in, the landlord says, ushering you into the warm, comfortable common room, raising his voice to be heard above the din of the merrymaking farmers and laborers done with the day's work. Have a seat. I'll bring you some baked meats, fresh from the oven. Nothing to rid you of the weariness of the road and the chill of the wind like a hot meat pie. For all its deliciousness... Pie seems a bit too simple to call it a word of the week, doesn't it? But there's more to it than just a pastry crust filled with mashed gourds, cut fruit, or savory chocolate pudding. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, uh, forgive me. There's more to pie than the pie we know. Pie helped us discover new methods of cooking, brought cultures together, expanded trade and exploration, and helped ensure the common people had enough nutritious food to survive. 
but Pi is not completely benevolent either. It has its dark side. It came out of holy wars and was the subject of religious protests. Like the number Pi, we often give the Greeks, or sometimes the Romans, credit for inventing Pi. But like the number Pi, the culinary Pi actually predated the Greeks by long, long ages. In fact, we're not even sure how long. In fact, the concept of Pi even seems to predate the concept of baking somehow. One of the the greatest culinary discoveries before sliced bread was the discovery of cooking itself. See, when you take the flesh of a dead animal, you can eat that flesh, the muscle tissue, easily enough. Seriously, you can eat raw chicken meat itself with no problem, as long as you eat it right away, that is, before the deadly bacteria start to multiply in it. The problem apart from the deadly bacteria, is that there's all this other stuff in meat. There's connective tissues like tendons that hold the meat to the bones. There's skin which covers and protects the meat and is actually really tough to get through. And there's fat which you can't chew up and have a really hard time digesting. But if you take that meat and shove it into a fire, wonderful things start to happen the skin firms up and loses its elasticity. The connective tissues break down, and the fats melt into delicious juices and greases. Also, all that bacteria dies. And also, also, the food lasts longer before it gets maggoty and spoiled and gross. So ancient hunters were all over that whole cooking thing. But they had a problem. When you cook meat over a fire, all of the delicious juices and grease and melted fat drip out into the fire. The meat dries out, the outside surface chars, and it becomes tough and less tasty. So they used to wrap their meat in mud to cook it. That way, the juices wouldn't run out. Sometime later, the best culinary invention after cooking came along and paved the way for sliced bread. And that was bread itself. If you mixed ground wheat and water together, you got this sticky, doughy mass. And if you baked that, you got this warm, flat, crusty goodness. And that was delicious. And if you then took the dough and wrapped it around the meat, you could roast the whole thing over a fire, and you had bake meat. That's bake, as in bake bread, and M-E-T-E, Meat, as in, well, as in meat. That was another medieval name for pie. But that's not really a pie like we're used to, is it? That's just a stuffed bread roll. That's the sort of thing Pizza Hut advertises. Pies didn't really become pies as we're familiar with them until the invention of pastry. What's pastry? Well, simply put... Pastry is just a stack of layers of thin bread separated by layers of lard or butter or oil. And while we give the Greeks a lot of credit here, too, pastry was actually a Middle Eastern thing. They loved pastry. Take the Turks, for example. The Turks 
had this stuff called phyllo. And phyllo was basically made of unleavened bread dough that was rolled out into extremely thin sheets and then brushed with butter. They would make layer upon layer of the stuff to produce this flaky pastry, which you could then use to make balklava, which was made of layers of phyllo glued together with honey. Layers upon layers. The inception of pastries. Now, I know what you're going to say. Neither the Ottoman Turks and the Byzantine Empire predated the Greeks. And you're absolutely right. But while the Greeks and the Turks are arguing over who made pastry first, some food historians point to a Persian layered bread called lazanak, which predates phyllo and baklava by centuries. Meanwhile, the Romans would like you to consider their invention as the first real pastry, the placenta cake. Yes, I said placenta cake. Don't think too hard about that. Placenta just means layered. The Romans had this neat layered bread, which was held together with honey and melted cheese, and also included bay leaves. But speaking of unpleasant names for layered foods, let's go back to pie. During the Crusades, a long series of holy wars between Europe and the Middle East, which started in the 11th century and kept happening for hundreds of years, Crusaders brought lots of stuff back to Europe with them. And I don't just mean treasure. The Crusades, as bloody and violent and horrific as they were, supercharged the spread of ideas between Europe and the Middle East. And one thing the European Crusaders discovered and brought home was pastry crust. Using a pastry crust, you could make a delicious coffin. I warned you there was another unpleasant name coming, but coffin just means box or basket, and it actually referred to pie crusts, a baked box or basket for meat, before it referred to a receptacle for a dead person. Meat pies caught on in Europe like hotcakes. They were amazing. Fill a pastry coffin with meat, vegetables, spices, whatever. Bake it, and you had a handy meal in a single, easy-to-carry form. Pies were portable, and they lasted longer than raw meat, and this made them amazing for traders and explorers. See, at the time, there weren't lots of good ways to preserve meat. You could salt the heck out of it, but salt was expensive, and the meat dried out and got very salty. Often, what ships and trade caravans did was bring along a lot of live animals which could be killed and butchered for food. But meat pies were a great solution to the problem. Sure, they didn't last as long as salted dried meat, but they were much more portable than a herd of sheep. Eventually, though, the pies stopped being a staple dinner food and started to become more of a confection, a treat, a dessert. There was actually a huge renaissance in pastry and dessert foods during the Renaissance. The Renaissance, you know the one. And so it came to pass that we started filling pie coffins with tasty apples and cherries, and, of course, squashed gourds. Kind of like the pumpkin pies that the pilgrims in America most certainly did not eat at their Thanksgiving harvest festival. Because pies were evil. 
I kid you not. See, in the Victorian era, a popular dessert started catching on. The mince pie, a.k.a. mincemeat pie. Originally, it was just another derivative of the meat pies that had been feeding Europeans for centuries. But the English started to add more and more sweet ingredients to it, like honey and fruits and spices like clove and nutmeg and cinnamon. And it became a popular Christmas meal in England. And that was a problem. See, the Puritans in England, basically extreme Catholic purists, thought the whole celebration of Christmas had become basically sacrilegious idolatry and had taken the focus away from the religious significance of the day. Puritan authorities condemned everything about the holiday, including pie. Later on, when the Puritans fled England and went to America, they were able to live a pie-free, spiritually pure life the way they had always wanted to. So, how do you use pie at your game? Well, honestly, we're going to put this question on hold for November, because we're going to spend the month talking about the sort of food and drink that would adorn a character's plate in the D&D multiverse. And that's just pure flavor text. In fact, it's flavor text in the most literal sense. So just assume that the November episodes all end with how can you use this in your game? The next time the players are in a tavern, this is what they eat. Or alternatively, have a nice dinner game and serve your players with a tasty mince pie. Unless they're Puritans. This has been the GM Word of the Week. It was written by the Angry GM and recorded and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can find more at theangrygm.com and madadventurers.com. 